Before we start this episode, I'd like to remind everybody that uh, this is a little bit different than the normal podcast that we do. And while this is their story in their own words, as you can imagine, in today's political climate, some of what they have to say isn't very popular, neither with the public at large nor with hospital administrators. Some people have objected to us actually telling these stories, but these are stories that need to be heard. They're important. So let's get on with it. Welcome to Untold Stories of COVID-19, a brand new podcast from the Adel News Tribune and Cook Publishing Company. These are the people in your town telling their stories in their words. Blair is 29 and an ICU nurse at a large South Georgia hospital that serves the population of several surrounding counties. Throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, she's been working on the ICU floor. Asking her or anyone else on her floor how things are going, it's hard to get a definitive answer. The answer I give everyone is I'm holding up okay, but I think a more honest answer is I'm surviving. Honestly, I've lost count of which wave this is supposed to be. Whatever wave it is, it's killing younger and younger people and it's it's morbid, morbid to say this, but when it was mainly the elderly dying, at least I had some kind of peace knowing that they'd lived really full lives. But now we're seeing kids my age and younger die, and it's, it's really hard on the, watching them on the ventilators. The media is providing statistics to the public, but the nurses that we've talked to, they don't care about the nightly news. All they know is what they see and what they experience. The personal and professional get interwoven in odd ways for those people dealing with COVID daily. It's really hard to even, you know, attempt to try to explain what it's like to zip a 27-year-old kid up in a body bag. This is a relatively new thing in the spread of COVID-19. In the early going, it was mostly the elderly and mostly the infirm. Now it's younger and younger men and women. Some get it, some don't, but it doesn't seem to have anything to do with age or comorbidities anymore. He had no comorbidities. He, my, he was a little overweight, but that was all. And he got COVID and died. And you can't help but wonder what's causing some people to get it and die. And just, you know, and then others just do fine. It wasn't until 2021 that Blair lost her first patient that she personally knew. It was the stepfather of a good friend, and his death still haunts her. I, I can't tell you how many times I've laid down at night and think about the last words of a 40-year-old patient that I had. Right before he went on the vent, and he died literally three and a half weeks later. And he said to me, please don't let me die. Walking families over and down that ICU hallway to see their dead loved one feels almost like a dream sometimes. Well, maybe more like a nightmare. It's like those movies where the hallway just gets longer and further away. Blair says she feels fine physically, but is in emotional turmoil. There doesn't seem to be any end in sight for those feelings or the pandemic, and it's taking a toll on her daily life. I feel like I give my all every day to my patients to make sure they have the absolute best shot for the best possible outcome I can offer them, but but sometimes that means using all of my emotional energy at work. Sometimes I forget how to care about the unimportant daily tasks at home. really takes a toll on me. Blair and her co-workers have been talking about how important it is to come out and tell people about all of this. And she's grateful that other healthcare professionals are coming forward, too. At one point, she texts us and tells us that she's already pushing a morgue cart downstairs and that today has already been crazy. This is fairly early in the day. All 20 of the ICU beds in her hospital have been taken up by COVID patients on ventilators. On September 14th, Blair picks up an extra shift because they're so short-staffed. 
we we're literally losing nurses left and right and and the ones that haven't left have developed the absolute worst anxiety depression maybe worse down the line we have really experienced good nurses who don't want to do this anymore because it at least before covid they had patients survive but worse than death seems to be the idea of keeping people alive long past the point of hope Keeping the patients alive for long periods of time is not uncommon. The patient's family must make the decision to take their loved one off the vent. For the nurses and techs, this is one of the most disturbing aspects of their work. Referring to a 61-year-old patient who they had been keeping alive in the ICU for the family to arrive, Blair tenses. People think death is the hardest part of my job, but it's actually being forced to keep somebody's body alive far past the possibility for any meaningful recovery. There are worse fates than death. Once a patient comes off of that ventilator, it gets put back into the system to be used by the next patient. Once her 61-year-old patient had passed, Blair had two techs clean up the room and the patient so he'd look like a resting angel. These patients usually, you know, they have tubes and lines and wires all around them and in them. And the family that does get to visit doesn't even want to touch them because they just look so fragile. They get sores from the equipment or the bed. They start not to look like themselves anymore. I just got off of FaceTime with a with the family of a 20-year-old patient's family, and his two-year-old daughter kept asking, what's wrong with Daddy, and why is he sick, and what does he have on him because of all the tubes? And when a patient does die, they can be absolutely unrecognizable to the family. In the case of the 61-year-old, he was swollen and with mouth sores from the vent and overgrown hair. Blair and her colleagues shaved some of his beard off in an attempt to make him look a little more like himself. When a patient dies, I go get their family, and sometimes I cry with them, and I have to take them down that long, endless hallway again, and I feel so guilty because they trusted me with them, and now they're dead. I don't know what to say. I mean, what can I say? Blair and some of her other colleagues believe that the public would be surprised about how many family members accuse them of giving their loved one a COVID vaccine or how uncaring some patients are when multiple fellow patients are dying. A lot of patients, they just, they don't understand at all the reason why we maybe can't, like, get them a warm blanket. It's because people are coding literally to the left and the right of them. They have no idea, and they, or they just don't seem to care. They don't, they don't realize what's going on. Blair notes that a lot of the nurses she knows are suffering from compassion fatigue. I think the kind of compassion fatigue that nurses are experiencing is that that we are tired of taking care of people who aren't caring about the more critically ill patients. Blair impresses the fact that her and the other nurses are with the patients the most and develop relationships with them and the families. We probably know more about their family dynamic than the patients themselves do, she says. And after weeks of developing that relationship... When the patients die, Blair tries to hold it together for the family members when they get to the hospital so they can say their goodbyes. And as soon as that happens, the patient is taken down to the morgue and another patient is moved into that same bed who are just as sick and need the help just as bad. We all know the pattern now. Nurses are exhausted and are leaving the bedside to do things completely different than nursing or they switch to travel nursing. A travel nurse with the same credentials and experience as a veteran nurse in the same hospital doing the same job makes two times the money that the veteran nurse does. Nurses have never done it for the money, though. If they did, nurses wouldn't be nurses. They do it because helping people get better is their passion. 
but helping people get better is getting harder, and that's taking its toll on the nurses. When we can rarely help people get better, and all you see is death and families torn apart, it, it takes a toll on you. I think I said this before, but I cannot describe the horrible feeling of zipping a human up in a body bag and, and to do it over and over and over again and again. It's, it is unreal. Like a lot of nurses, in spite of it all, Blair continues to hang in there and has even picked up extra shifts. But four weeks ago, it went from a nursing shortage to a nursing shortage crisis. They were giving them an extra $20 an hour, but that didn't last long. Then they bumped it up to 50 on their fourth pickup days. Compared to her regular salary, that was great, but... Honestly, I don't think there is any amount of money weighed in front of our faces that would make this okay. Part of the problem is that nurses are doing everything and are not always being compensated for everything that they're doing. And at Hobby Lobby, somebody can start out at $17.50 an hour, and a new nurse can start out at $24.50. So that means a lot of nurses are seeing that they could be doing something way less stressful, way less sad, for almost the same amount of money. One nurse that Blair works with has been a mentor for her since she started working at the hospital. They had a camaraderie, and Blair would ask her questions as she was trying to gain on-the-job experience. She put in her notice to go part-time and was thinking about quitting altogether. The only reason that she doesn't quit is because of us, the people that she works with, and trust me, we need all the help that we can get. The other nurses and staff that they work with are the only people who seem to understand. In a lot of cases, nurses feel like they can't even talk to their friends and family because there's so much stuff that's out there muddying the waters. So many conspiracy theories floating around. It seems like nobody knows what to believe, and all the nurses know is what they can see and what they feel. I keep telling people I wish this was a conspiracy theory. I wish I didn't have to see this. I, I don't want to watch 27-year-old die. I wish I was making all of this up. These terrible stories weren't true, but, but they are. One day a few weeks ago, there were two codes at the same time right next to each other. The intensivist was trying to run two codes at the same time. They were screaming down the hall. There was another code. There was just no way that she could run two codes by herself. The family for the COVID patient I was with accused the nurse of giving her the COVID shot, and that's why she was that bad. And we said, sir, she's coded twice this morning. Even if we had given her the COVID shot, which we didn't, it was already too late. Another woman was vented and had a catheter and wound up getting a UTI. The family asked what was wrong with her, and we explained that she had bacteria in her lungs. They asked if we had tried cranberry juice. Inwardly, Blair was aghast. The things that she treats can't be cured by cranberry juice. We flip patients on their stomach when we intubate them so that they can get more air in their lungs. That's called proning, and this makes their face swell up really bad. I don't know whether it's the proning or something about COVID that makes them bloat so badly. Uh, one patient, this woman, we were attempting to put her in a body bag, and when I picked up her arm, her skin peeled back because she was that swollen. I've never seen anything like that. I hope I never do again. It was horrible. And then when we were pulling out the vent, she bit down hard, just a post-mortem reflex, and clamped on her tongue, which started ble bleeding. It was just, It was just awful. Looking back over the relatively short time that COVID has taken over the hospital, she thinks that if it hadn't become a political issue, there would have been far fewer deaths because people would have taken it more seriously. Blair's father is a doctor who is currently treating 19 different COVID patients. He had one die this week who was fully vaccinated. One of the things that baffles Claire is that every time she talks about COVID with someone, invariably it goes back to either President Biden or former President Trump. It doesn't matter how innocuous she starts out, people always seem to be able to make it go back to one of those two men. 
I'm, you know, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? These are real people. It's not just numbers walking across some screen. It's like the community has stopped caring about everybody else. As long as they're fine, they don't care about anybody else. Right now, the hospital is full, completely maxed out. We don't even have room for a rat in the corner. You want to go out and infect people? My friend has been terrified since it started and did everything by the book. But two weeks ago, she got COVID. She said she hadn't done anything different. Had gotten, she'd even gotten vaccinated. She still got it. So you know, she had to have gotten it from somebody who wasn't taking precautions. Regardless of these hot and aggravating topics, she firmly disagrees with some of the back chatter going on around Facebook about how unvaccinated people shouldn't be allowed to get an ICU bed. I understand triaging patients based on who you think will survive, but, you know, I mean, at the same time, how are you going to turn away a 27-year-old who didn't get the shot, which at the time wasn't even FDA approved? I mean, how can you look that patient's parents in the eyes and, and, and tell them that? Blair has concluded that on both sides of the issue, no one actually cares about anyone. She doesn't care who you are or what you look like. If you come to her hospital and need help, She's going to take care of you. I'm taking care of people from all different walks of life. You know, prisoner, drug dealers, drug addicts, a doctor, a nurse from the ER, stay-at-home mamas, a lawyer, all walks of life people. Not, but not one time, not once, did I say or think, oh, you're from this party or you're from that party or you like so-and-so. I, I never thought that. Basically, this is how it goes. Nobody in the healthcare system wants anyone who isn't involved to weigh in. Don't put your two cents in. It's worse than children having petty fights. Untold Stories of COVID-19 from the Front Lines is a production of Cook Publishing Company, Inc. in Adel, Georgia. It's produced and narrated by me, Wade Young. It was written by Robin Postel. Graphics, marketing, and additional production are by Dalton Yawn and John Henry Walker. Deborah Farmer is our ad executive, Charles Shiver was story editor, and Maria Hardman is general manager of Cook Publishing Company. If you have a story that you'd like to share, you can contact us at cookpub.untoldstories at gmail.com. Look for more untold stories of COVID-19 each week in the Adel News Tribune, the Equipment Free Press, the Berrien Press, and the Osceola Star. See you next week.